Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and with me for this a little bit late Valentine's Day weekend episode is my best friend and fellow rom-com lover, Patch. Hey, everybody. It's good to be here. I'll be a little bit late. Yeah, a little bit late. Life happens. You know, if you're surprised and then you were expecting to hear us discuss Death on the Nile, well, we apologize for that. We ended up deciding to shift to Marry Me, and then Marry Me got delayed, and it's just been a crazy couple of weeks. We do plan to eventually get to Death in the Nile. Death in the Nile? I think somebody death dies on. In, it's Death on but the Nile. Does somebody die in the Nile, too? I can't remember, so it could work either I mean, way. At but... some point in history, it probably happened, but I don't think <laughs> I, it's in that movie. Yeah, I think it definitely <laughs> happened. Yeah, so we will probably eventually get to that film as well because we both enjoyed it quite a bit and it's a murder mystery which is always a fun thing to talk about on the show but after seeing marry me we did fall under its spell and thought about it was the right choice for this time of year to talk about a movie focused on love and not a movie focused on death so with that said marry me is streaming currently on peacock and is also still in theaters so you can get out and see it if you want you should it's good watch it with your significant other watch it like me multiple times alone and just you know cry in your blanket with your puppy whatever you gotta do your, yeah, your dog was with you so that's okay he, he was <laughs> someone you love <laughs> thankfully <laughs> but this is your spoiler alert we're gonna talk about what happens and you should go check it out and then come back and listen to the episode well i want to start with this kind of we like to get the general stuff out of the way first and For this, it's really, we haven't talked about a rom-com in quite a while, I don't think. I mean, we've covered plenty of them because we enjoy them. But I wanted to kind of go over what it is that makes rom-coms so appealing to us. So when you see a movie like a Marry Me get advertised, or even an I Want You Back, which is on Amazon Prime right now and is also pretty good, what is it that perks you up and makes you think, oh, that's a movie I want to check out? And is there anything that specifically makes watching these around Valentine's different for you personally? And I'll answer as well, of course. So let me go backwards in those questions. The thing that makes it appealing to watch around Valentine's Day is that my wife wants to watch it. So this is not one that I necessarily would have picked, but we were at the screening for West Side Story. I say screening. We were at the movies. We don't see screenings because we're not fun (laughs) critics like you. But we were at the movie theater and one of the trailers dropped for that movie. And she said, I want to see this. And I was like kind of rolling my eyes because it looked a little hokey and cheesy. And then, you know, J-Lo's looking fit and feeling like a rock star. And Owen Wilson's doing something, not saying, wow, just yet. And I was like, this looks pretty good. This looks pretty good. So we saw that it was going to be streaming on Peacock, which we subscribe to. Uh, because it's the Olympic season still finishing up and we wanted to go ahead and pay our $5. (laughs) And it felt like a good night in for us instead of having to go to the theater. We thought this is a nice kind of turn off the lights and enjoy this together. So that's the appeal on the Valentine's Day front. But in general, when I think about rom-coms, what I like most about them is that they are really more of a complex Hallmark story. You know that in the end, you're going to get a satisfying ending. It's not going to feel like the people that you want to get together don't get together and even if it's a complicated journey to get there it's still that anticipation of knowing that at the end of this it's going to feel good it's going to leave you feeling a certain way optimistic hopeful Um, i'm not really a romantic so those feelings don't necessarily get to me i really enjoy watching the two leads in these kinds of movies struggle to get together or struggle when they're together and how to deal with that. When Harry Met Sally is one of those great examples of two people that eventually get together, but it's over a complex time period and over complex situations. 10 Things I Hate About You, same kind of thing. Also takes place in high school, which is always a bonus for me. And so Marry Me follows us. Shakespeare, yeah. So Marry Me follows a similar formula where you have 
couple struggling with being together, or in this case, getting together immediately and then figuring it out. And I thought that this particular way of telling a story felt a little bit fresh because I hadn't seen that in a while, or at least I hadn't, I don't recall seeing a movie that does that. So you have the tropes or the familiarities. So if we're going to use a positive word for trope, the familiar beats and elements of a rom-com with kind of a fresh take. You also have to have a great cast, a great set of leads with good chemistry. I thought this movie had that. Uh, I was skeptical because seeing J-Lo and Owen Wilson next to each other looked awkward, but that's the point. And so when you lean into the things that are somewhat obvious, like putting Keanu Reeves in the Matrix, as opposed to a romantic comedy or a deep drama, it's going to feel more comfortable. And so all those things really sort of appealed to me in watching Marry Me. Yeah, I just would echo, I guess, a lot of that. I definitely remember the days of being in a relationship. Still, it's been a long time, but I can remember them. And I've had the same kind of appeal where if I had the opportunity to watch something with a significant other, it always was better. And the movie could be terrible, but a terrible movie was a half star level better of a terrible movie if you're watching it with someone else because and, and someone that you care about, that you love. Because they're sharing in something that is a passion of yours. And it you could, you know, take out watching rom-coms around Valentine's Day and insert any activity at any point in life that would solve serve that purpose for your specific couple or relationship. But around Valentine's Day, these work really well to do that. But even so, for someone like me, I still can't help but have those hopeless romantic feelings even if i am very content in my singlehood not actively out necessarily trying to find relationships still maybe harbor feelings you know that are never going to be resolved probably and so even so this kind of movie i still find a value in because it briefly reignites a spark and it reminds me of some feelings that I tend to suppress or not really have to think about all the time and it's just a lot of fun frankly it's hopeful and it's nice to see movies where good things happen and people end up in a place where they're better off with another human being they're closer to someone. And you can expect that to happen at the end of pretty much every rom-com. And so I go into it knowing that, and it's a journey that is just always pleasant. And I think that it's not something that I always want to watch constantly anymore in my life. I don't just sit down and pop these in all the time. But there is something very timely about watching them around valentine's day when the world is putting forth this idea that this is the time you have to show this person love which is a whole other conversation about whether valentine's day is good is bad etc but that's the way it is right you go to the grocery store i'm there just to get you know my energy drinks <laughs> and my eggs and my cream cheese and my heavy whipping cream or whatever and I gotta walk down the aisle and see nothing but heart-shaped candy boxes and teddy bears and it's all thrown at you thrown at you thrown at you and so you're kind of just by default put into this mental state and so it just works this time of year I think no matter whether you're watching them to kind of cry a little and wallow in your own sadness that you're not in that place or to enjoy seeing a couple of other people get into that place that you and a significant other maybe already are in. And it, I just think that it works really well. And so when we talk about Marry Me specifically and what makes it unique, you already mentioned one of the things, which is two leads that don't make sense together. 
It's interesting that this came out the same week as I Want You Back, the one I mentioned earlier that dropped on Amazon. I was interested more in that one, ended up liking it a little bit less than Marry Me, but I was interested in it more because the two leads were Charlie Day and Jenny Slate. They were the primary couple. And when you see those two actors together on a poster, if you know those two actors work, you go, yeah, that makes sense. Like, that's going to be a great rom-com couple. They seemingly fit together. They're both kind of comedians and quirky, and oh my gosh, they're going to be so cute. You see age 50-something Owen Wilson, who's, I think, showing his age. God bless him. We all are. And the ageless <laughs> Jennifer Lopez, and you're like, huh? <laughs> you know, this is the woman who has in real life been married to and or engaged to at one point or another. She's had five marriages and three engagements. I'm going to bring that up again later. But people like Mark Anthony, Alex Rodriguez, Ben Affleck. I mean, <laughs> these are not Owen Wilson. I'm sorry. I love you, Owen Wilson. I do. But looks department, they got a leg up on you, bro. And so it's just weird. But that made it fascinating. It was like, okay, I know Owen Wilson is a good actor. And I also know that despite his leanings into comedy for most of his career, that he can hit some serious notes that I wonder if it could take this notch up a notch. And I think it did. And it really reminded me, Patrick, of like throwback to a 90s and early 2000s type of rom-com when Jennifer Garner and Hugh Grant and some of those folks were in their prime. There's a charm to this movie that you don't see. And I hate to keep comparing it, but they came out at the same time. And what I want you back is very much more in line with a more modern sensibility of romance. They go on hijinks together and they do really stupid stuff that 35-year-olds wouldn't do, frankly. And it's usually kind of in, there's a vulgarity to it. There's, they really got to push the limits a little bit. And none of that is in Marry Me. It's so refreshing. And its messages, I think, are so uplifting and so helpful and smart. Regardless of if this couple was to end up together or not, I would have been satisfied because of the journey that they went on. He has a daughter. He's a single dad. The daughter plays into it. He 100% always puts his daughter first. Like, Jennifer Lopez is not a jerk. She's not a caricature of a, of a star. You know, it, the movie is definitely showing us what that life is kind of like in a way, and who better to do it than someone who's lived it for her entire life. But she's not a joke version of that person or an exaggerated version of that person to where she is hateful towards everybody around her or a diva. She treats people with respect <laughs> and people like her and she's forgiving and, you know, she's accommodating. And there's all of these things about both of these characters that just as we continue to get to know them, man, it really just kept sucking me in. And I was like, I like these people. And I think that that's the key is that when you really truly get to the point you know, this is part of the thing about La La Land that I love so much is because as we get to know those people, I'm rooting for them. I want them to end up together. I want I want a world to exist where they make each other happy and they're able to both reach their dreams or whatever. And And I felt that same way as this was going. And by the end of it, I didn't even see the awkwardness of Owen Wilson and Jennifer Lopez as actors being completely op opposite when it comes to physical, you know, nature of their, their looks or even their backgrounds. It just looked like two people that fit perfectly together because they were in love. And so that's how it won me over. I mean, that and the music, I love the music too. Yeah. All of that stuff. I, I absolutely co-sign. I think when, when you mentioned charm, part of what makes that charm so obvious is the fact that the movie starts out with sort of an absurd premise. The idea of Jennifer Lopez's character, Kat, stopping a big giant production and then picking this guy, Charlie, and marrying him. So 
we're just sort of sucked into that fantasy with with them and we learn to appreciate and suspend our disbelief would that happen in real life no it wouldn't so when you start out a movie or at least begin the the first act with something that absurd you change your tone or you adjust your expectations to fit what you're about to watch when we go to watch star wars we don't complain that the stormtroopers or that there's sound in space. We don't complain about that. Why? Because we're not there to watch a science fact story. We're there to watch a science fiction fantasy story. So watching Marry Me, the premise is set up fairly early on in a way that allows us as an audience to really temper our expectations and start enjoying the story for what it is. And that charm also extends itself to these two characters in a way that as you go through the story, you start to lose that initial opposites attract kind of thing, or opposites don't attract in this case. We have this incredibly beautiful character cat and this shabby, casual guy, Charlie, who are on the screen together and it looks so polar opposite, it's almost funny. But the movie leans heavily into getting us into Cat's lifestyle that you mentioned. She's unassuming about it. She never exploits that to him when he feels awkward. Especially there's a particular scene where they're walking out after a press conference or a photo shoot and there's like this line of exotic suburbans or SUVs and he's like, where are you going? She goes, oh, I'm going to London for an interview. And it's it's funny to hear that because it'd be like me saying, yeah, I'm going to head over to, to Beijing next week for the openings. You know, it's no big deal. It is a big deal because none of us, most of us are not these people. But I don't think the movie is trying to separate that kind of lifestyle. I think it's making a commentary in a, in a funny way, but it's also allowing us to say, Kat's a person. She has a life. She has a job. Her job takes her places that our jobs do not. Charlie's the same way. I mean, if you think about it from the opposite point of view, there is so much struggle early on with, I believe it's Colin, her manager, who I think is like a PG version of Ricky Gervais. <laughs> In a lot of ways, he feels just kind of a toned down version of Ricky Gervais. <laughs> so it's John Bradley, and he was in Moonfall too. He Okay got known by being in Game of Thrones. I know you didn't watch it. He's a character called Samuel Tarly, who is okay. very much like Samwise Gamgee in a lot of ways. And man, I loved him in this. I was like, yes. you're not a jerk. That's part of the thing was like, he wasn't yeah. a jerk. He yeah. genuinely cared about her. Mm -hmm. But when we watch him interact with Charlie, he's trying to get him to do these photo shoots and do this stuff. And Charlie's like, I can't. From eight to five, I'm at school from five to six on Wednesday nights. I've got math club and he's not being sarcastic. This is the life that Charlie appreciates. This is the life that Charlie values. And yes, he absolutely loves his daughter, wants her to become a math lead. That's a great little subplot in this whole thing. But he also just, in, he's in love with his job teaching. He loves what he does. And the thing is, Kat does too. None of that ever comes to a head in terms of like, you got to give up your life for me and I've got to give up my life for you. That's not a through line that they play with. Instead, they amplify both of these types of lifestyles and put this like rubber stamp of important on both of them. So they never negate the fact that Kat is the celebrity that nobody can touch because we get that connection through Charlie and we never get that notion that Charlie is completely overly preachy about hating social media because we get that great moment where Kat challenges him when he challenges her to live 24 hours on your own, which is a, a great little montage, by the way. It's just a great scene or set of scenes. But in no way do we ever feel like either of these characters are inauthentic because I'm like Charlie. You know, I'm not much of a social media guy. I don't have the 15 things. I've got my Twitter and that's about it. And so in some ways I was like, good job, Charlie. But we also see opening up 
of these characters to the other person's lifestyle. Not because it's opposite, but because it's new. I mean, she really does appreciate his mathletes and that scene where we get her dancing with the kids to kind of get them to stop thinking about answering questions. It's such a great setup for what we see later on at the competition. But it also allows us to feel like, yeah, JLo's got this life, but being a part of another person's life that's not like her is appealing too. So to me, that's what I latched onto was this sameness in appreciating these two lifestyles that may feel different from one person to another, but we get a chance to kind of see that both of these people are just that. They're just people. At the end of the day, Kat, I'm going to call her Kat. I'm not going to call her Jennifer Lopez because when we talk about celebrities, we always use their full name. Like I'm never going to say, oh yeah, Hugh, he was great in that movie. No, Hugh Jackman, because you know, <laughs> that's what we do. Celebrities are first name, last name people, unless we know them and then we call them by whatever. But that's, that's the appeal. I never felt like I was out of Kat's world because I was living vicariously through Charlie. I was amazed and I got to see some of that inside stuff, but I never felt like, oh man, I don't fit in here. I felt like it's awkward here, but I could make this work. This is, this is kind of cool. Yeah, definitely agree with that. And it, one thing real quick, cause you brought up that scene that scene where she comes into the classroom and teaches them to dance. And she, I don't know if it's the same scene cause she's in the classroom a couple times. There's one scene where she comes in and Charlie's daughter is supposed to get up and she's got stage fright. Yeah. And then, and then cat's like, no, you know, I used to do that too. Pull it up. Show show me the video of whatever. So the kid goes to do it and he goes, Hey Google, show me whatever cat's video AMAs, blah, 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 blah. And they cut to them watching it, and they're watching it on an iPad, Patrick. And I was like, St- oh, my gosh, hold on. My phone had just heard me say, hey, Google, and started going. <laughs> this is, see, this is a different kind of creepy movie right here. <laughs> I'm writing it down for my screen. My phone literally heard me say that and started talking to me. But the thing is that she's talking to Google, not Siri. and her the ipad he's there watching it on an ipad anyway i just thought it was hilarious because it was like a mixture of tech that should not have been happening right (laughs) anyway now that i'm like rattled by this technological like surveillance happening in my life the relationship with them i think is so great as well you know the humor in this pretty much all landed for me none of it felt forced and i think a lot of that is due to owen wilson being the right choice for somebody to play this role. And and part of it is because of what he looks like. I'm not going to lie. Like he doesn't come off as someone who is trying to be a character that's not the way he looks, if that makes sense. So it's not like you're like taking Channing Tatum and you're trying to sell me on Channing Tatum being a high school math teacher who's obsessed with the Pythons. That could be very true. There could be math teachers out there that are absolutely as ripped and gorgeous as Channing Tatum, but it's a suspension of belief that we have to reach at that point because if it's a movie star, it's easy with Owen Wilson. And so there's that early scene that I just loved, maybe my funniest moment in the whole movie to me. When they're first coming out and Kat gets into the car, I think it's after the Today Show, and Kat gets into the car and she's got that hilarious assistant that just is like flabbergasted by this guy and does not understand his lack of understanding about social media and tech and she's like he pulls out his phone to get her number and it's a flip phone and she goes oh my god he can't even text with that and he goes oh my god yes he can just very slowly and it's it's just the perfect response and it's what i think owen wilson does so well throughout this whole film and he's done so well throughout his entire career he doesn't overplay it he doesn't do it in a way that is demeaning as a character to that person it's sarcastic but it's sarcastic in a very funny 
kind of gotcha way, not in a you're dumb way. And it just, it was like the perfect moment for me that summed the movie up when it comes to the humor. Yeah. There's a, the word is unassuming. And I think that that's what describes his character is he's very unassuming. He recognizes that who he is is not something to apologize for, but it's not something to necessarily make a big deal about either. And I think looking at his relationship with his daughter, we get that early on that he has been taken down a peg. I mean, he loved being married to his wife and something happened and now they're not together anymore. And now she's with somebody else. Again, surprised me that that didn't really get played up a lot. We only see her once where he's handing his daughter off to her and that's about it. So I was surprised that that didn't play more into the movie. Glad it didn't, but I was surprised. But when we watch him, one of the things I noticed, Aaron, was that the costume choices were really spot on because they amplified what you're observing. You're right. If Channing Tatum was in the same role, could we believe it? Absolutely. But part of the movie's appeal is trying to amplify these lifestyles because they're so different. And these characters are a representation of those different lifestyles. And part of the movie's plot is to find common ground. What can they really appreciate? I love the fact that every scene with them is never sexualized. It's never overly romanticized. It really feels like an adorable affection that they have for each other. Sitting down at a table in this house that apparently Kat owns, but she can't get into because she doesn't know where the, where the key is, so she has to break a window. They're having a little picnic, a little makeshift picnic. And then even when she's, he's at her apartment and they're sitting on this luxurious couch, she's not giving him champagne and they're not doing anything fancy. They're just sitting there having a conversation. And to me, those are where the real romance blossoms is when you're just having conversations. I mean, when my wife and I were, were dating, even before we were dating, we would go to this place downtown and have sushi like once every couple of weeks. And because we didn't have any kind of assumptions or expectations about each other because of some past stuff that had happened with us, those conversations were so authentically fun. We weren't trying to impress each other. We weren't trying to say, okay, I'm going to tell you my best stories now so that I can get you. No, we were just very honest about past relationships, about what we expected in marriage and what kind of people we wanted to you know, what we were interested in, that we were both done with the whole date for the weekend, but, you know, date for life instead. And I don't know that we could have had those conversations, had that foundation of no pressure friendship existed prior to that. And I think that's what makes this movie appealing is that they're put in a position where they're married and now they have to get to know each other. And they comment on that at that press conference. But then we get to see how they get to know each other. And it's this gradual way in which they slowly become closer. And even when they do become intimate, that scene is really funny because Charlie says, if this is about to be the best night of my life, I don't want it with what Barry Manilow or whoever playing in the background. Yep, yep, yep. So he acknowledges the fact that, oh my gosh, we are going to have sex. We're going to make love. But even that doesn't feel awkward. It doesn't feel like, oh my gosh, we're going to have this, you know, these, this scene where there's sheets moving and stuff like that, because that's not what the kind of movie this is. This movie is about these folks, th this couple that are learning more about each other and are really falling for each other, not for the lifestyle, not for the pressure of needing to stay together, but it's really, it feels natural. Yeah. And I, that's another part of that non, I call it vulgarity because it's just like a catch all word for me, but there's a focus on the relationship and the feelings that get them to that moment versus the need to just show that moment to be representative of their feelings in, at that time, if that makes sense. The movie does its work before that moment, so we don't need to see that moment. That's a private moment between them, and it treats it as such, which I 
greatly appreciated because we know where they are emotionally at that point in their relationship. So many movies skip that part. They go right to the sex scene. They show you the whole sex scene or whatever because they want the sex scene to be the thing that sells you on the feelings, which is messed up and not how relationships should work. And so that's in line with so much of what I think the great messaging of this movie is. And I want to talk about it because one thing that I found interesting is Kat in this film, it is referenced that she has been married a handful of times. I can't remember what she says, but it's like four or five or something like she's had a bunch of relationships, right? Well, Jennifer Lopez herself has been married three times. She's been engaged five times. And one of my favorite parts of the movie is her talking about loving yourself. So one of the songs is actually specifically about that, right? It's in the lyrics. And I love songs that the lyrics are serving as something for you to to say to somebody else. And she's singing essentially to herself about you got to love yourself first. I found this interview from about eight, nine months ago prior to this film, right? It's from, actually, it's, I think it's from before 2019, so it's several years old. And she specifically was being asked about getting engaged to Alex Rodriguez, which was blown off or, you know, called off it by now. But previously to that, she said, but it didn't have to do with anybody. She said, her relationship journey had been very up and down, but it didn't have to do with anybody else but me. It was about figuring out me. Until you learn to love yourself, you can't completely love someone else in a way that is pure and true. Once you do that, you can have relationships that are based on love and respect, that are supportive and nourishing. There's an evolution there that had to happen for me. I feel like I'm in a better place now. And I was like, whoa, because that is exactly what we see that character in this movie believe in. The movie is supporting the thing that I have championed for years, which is love is a choice. It's not just the magical feeling that you have when you see someone and you're attracted to them or you are sparked by a mutual interest that you have and you get really excited and you get those butterflies inside those are great feelings to experience, but those are not, quote, love. Love is actively making sacrifices and working towards choosing to be with someone despite the things that you may not have in common. You and your wife have very few primary hobbies in common, but you are madly in love with each other, and it's because you've chosen to be for years and years and years. And there's something that when that starts to happen, the ball starts rolling and it creates something so authentic that cannot be copied by us trying to find someone on an app and make and find this perfect checklist person. And I love that we get some of that in this story where Kat is specifically kind of calling that out. And she's talking about how. I got to find the quote. Where's the quote? She's like, why do we have to wait for guys to propose? She says, why can't it work if a woman picks the guy? And she keeps her name and lets him earn the right to stay. And she's like challenging the traditional way in which we now, traditional, like I guess the modern way in which we go about our marriages still are coming into romance. And I just really appreciated seeing it go down like this because even the premise for me, Patrick, like the idea of somebody holding up a sign and saying, marry me and somebody from the stage, a celebrity being like, yeah, sure. Come up here and let's get married. That seems so absurd on the surface. And five seconds later, I thought about it again. And I was like, you know what? I wouldn't be shocked. If I saw that on Instagram tomorrow that it happened, I don't think I would legitimately be shocked because we live in a world that is so focused on that sort of big attention for the sake of it that it wouldn't surprise me. And so even that made sense in the realm of like 
where this character is and what the industry that she is part of. And I love that she's not like that, that you yeah. see once you get to know her, that, that quote, the other thing about it is just that quote that sticks out to me so much. And the one that he tells her and she ends up repeating towards the end of the film and she says, if you sit in the question long enough, the answer finds you. And then she answers it back at the very end of the film by saying, I don't want to sit in the same mistakes over and over. I want something different. And that's a beautiful takeaway from this movie. I think it is, too. Watching the story play out, something that you said reminded me of the fact that if this happened, you mentioned seeing it on Instagram, I'd like to think of the fallout on social media and with a lot of people watching, with the world watching, and how the general public would react. So you probably have several different camps. You have the fan camp who's like, oh my gosh, I want this to happen. This is amazing. You have the dissenters who look at this person who has been through, what, two marriages in this in this story already, and who are looking for her to fail and who are digging up dirt on Charlie, like what's wrong with him. And I think that is echoed in this movie. They're trying to find some things that about him or, and they can't because he's pretty squeaky because he stays off the internet. He's not, he's not on, on online. And then you have probably the majority of people who are just like, Oh yeah, that, that was fun. Okay. What's, what's going on next? It was a 15 minute deal. And these characters would probably be generally forgotten in three or four months. In fact, Colin, Kat's manager, after all that goes down, encourages her to just let it blow over because it felt like a publicity stunt or it was something that he didn't want her to be made a fool of. And it's in that moment where she's doing yoga, she says, what if we did something different? What if we went through this? What if we gave it a chance? And at that point, I don't think she was looking for love, but I think she was trying to just explore a different way of doing things. So it's consistent with what she quotes at the end, where she is not wanting to make the same mistakes twice. I would expand on that and say, I'm ready to make new mistakes and trust the person that I'm making them with. And that, to me, is what authentic marriage looks like. My wife and I, as you mentioned, were married 13 years. And full disclosure, one of the reasons that we're recording this three or four days later is that we had a huge blow up and I was not in the mood to discuss a movie about love. But through that conversation, we made some pretty significant moves forward in terms of being able to talk better and expect different things from one another. And it was pretty significant because it came from a place where there was some fear that she was dealing with, some anxiety that I was feeling with, but I felt like that conversation was a little bit different than the ones we've had in the past that covered those same kind of issues. And so the fact is marriage is tough, but it's something that is satisfying, not because you as an individual are being pleased or being served necessarily, but because you're sharing it with somebody else who works through those struggles with you. I told her I would much rather, and she can probably quote me on this, I would much rather feel the way I'm feeling right now all the time with you than to not be with you at all. And I think that as weird as that sounds, that's what a married person feels like because you're looking at your partner and you're like, I want to be married to you. I don't like you right now, but I want to be married to you because life without you is just not something that makes sense to me anymore. I don't know that we get that message in this movie, but I think we get some of that sentiment where I'd like to believe her relationship with Charlie is one where she's not going to back down because he's got this foundation. He's got a history being married and now divorced. He has a child, so he's got an investment there. And he has his, he has these things that allow him to bring something to the table that go beyond a whirlwind lifestyle of fame and busyness. 
and he gives her that. So my hope, the optimism that I feel at the end of this movie is that he's going to provide her with that substance. He's going to provide her with that foundation that she can build off of. And then she's going to take him to Rome and let him <laughs> live this life that only few of us can dream of. I don't think it'll go to his head because he's got to get back in time for school and the Pythons, which by the way, is probably one of the best math team names, the P.I. or yeah, P.I. <laughs> the Pythons. So it's good. Phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love that she says when they're talking about her being married so many times and it can apply to exactly that situation with you and your wife. She even tells him, she says, it's like math. When you get a problem wrong, you don't just give up. You keep trying to solve it. Yep. And that's what it is, right? That's marriage. That's real marriage. And that happens over and over and over. And you just get through it. And, and Charlie, to that point, you know, that whole, this whole thing that we're talking about, there's a great line in here where he just says, marriage used to be a business deal. It wasn't about being in love. And maybe that's where things got tripped up. And I don't think he's suggesting we, he did actually, he does mention a dowry in here, but like, I don't think he's not suggesting we go back to that sort of selling our daughters kind of society, but there's a point there to be made about the reason you enter into this type of contract and the pretenses that you get to that point before, or you know, the way that your relationship is leading up to that. And it's just, it's really, really well depicted here in a positive manner. And I, I just, even Sarah Silverman, to my end, I don't typically like, and I was glad that she was used reservingly, but I thought she filled a pretty solid, accurate kind of role. There's going to be a friend in this situation who is like Sarah Silverman, who took right. you to the concert and is like, can you give me an autograph? Can I get some fame out of this? But she's not, <laughs> but she's not too far. She's still a friend right. first. And that's what I love. Cause see so many p movies, Patrick would have made this character a complete, they would have exaggerated everything. And she would have been, she would have caused some sort of chaos because she was trying to capitalize on this relationship for herself. And you get a hint of that personality, but it's never to the detriment of the relationship. And, that's actually super refreshing as well. Yes, I, I, I agree with you. Sarah Silverman is someone I can take with a grain of salt. I think she's great as Vanellope. And I can see her very reservedly in live action roles. This is one of those that kind of toned down character. I also like that we got a dog, you know, named Tank, who has yes. to take a break every once in a while and be carried. I, I thought he was just adorable. So, you know, if there was one thing that you could take away, if nothing else worked for you, Aaron, or you as the general audience, know that there was a very cute dog in here named Tank that was a bulldog. That was amazing. Yes, agreed. For sure. Lots of dogs in movies recently. They make them better. They make them better. Just they do. Dogs and naughty dogs all over the place. <laughs> um, I made that joke in our the last FF plus episode I had to when I was doing Uncharted and Dog, I was like, these are both movies about dogs. And then, yeah, people are going <laughs> to, now people really aren't going to know what I'm talking about because we're talking about Mary Me. Anyway, that's for next week <laughs> or next couple days from now. Anywho, getting offline. So last but not least, I wanted to ask you about the music. Did you like it? I know you're not necessarily a huge pop music kind of guy. This isn't from the 80s. So, did you vibe with it? <laughs> How did you like the songs? Did anything stick out to you at all? I thought the I thought the whole soundtrack was a lot of fun. Lots of good energy and, and very much J-Lo. We open up with that fantastic, quote, music video. Let me just say this, Aaron. We talked about this on National Champions. I love the fact that we incorporate real networks, real shows as part of this to really immerse ourselves into this life that this this girl, Kat, actually exists in the world. I mean, I'm seeing JLo the whole time, but you say cat enough and you realize, okay, yeah, this is this is her. But for me, I, I thought obviously the the I guess the more energetic Marry Me is always a great one. But I also liked the song that um that she wrote for she wrote for Charlie on my way. Where it and I think more more than anything, it's it's a great song, 
but the way in which the movie portrays it being written where she has the music but she can't find the lyrics and there's that great little conversation with his daughter where i think it's where the sitting in the question line comes up for her the first time and then after the breakup in the third act you know when the misunderstanding happens that's when she comes up with the lyrics and it's just it's really beautiful so that's that's probably my standout song of of the soundtrack on my way but i definitely like the title track for sure too that's yeah so on my way i think is going to be the fyc song i think that's the song that they're going to promote for awards consideration at the end of next year and i think it's the one they should promote it's the most like a ballad uh, i think of all of them it has memories or brings back memories for me of the song from the greatest showman that rebecca and i always get the rebecca's mixed up so it's either hall or ferguson i i don't remember which rebecca we'll go with ferguson is it is that is that because i believe correct? it is or we'll you go just with got... that. i'm gonna i'm gonna look up imdb <laughs> while you keep talking and then correct you so there's a ballad you know that she sings that is just such a powerhouse and it just has that same kind of sound to it and so i think on my way is the one for the awards but Marry Me is a total earworm, and I have not gotten it out of my head. It's just, you know, Marry Me, Marry Me. It's just constantly, like, bouncing around. And then I think it's Love Yourself is the name of the other song. Or maybe it's Love Your Way. This is where I should have had the soundtrack list up or written it down in my notes. But whatever it is, it's a song. It's Love Yourself. But it's that song that she writes at the piano and I, I just love it. I think that the lyrics of it, it's, it's maybe my favorite on the whole soundtrack. But I, too, thought it was just really well done. I didn't know who Malumo or Maluma was, the actual other part of Bastion. Yeah, I didn't know who that was as an artist until this movie. He's a great voice. That's for sure. Really good. Yeah. And he and J-Lo have a great duet. They I mean, do. both they sing not well the together. Battle, they do sing well together. Really and they have good. super chemistry, like when you look mm-hmm. at them. Like, even like, though they're like, he, she's literally twice his age almost. He's like, <laughs> he, I looked this up. He's like, he's 28, <laughs> she's 54 or something. It's ridiculous. Wow. That's, I, I hope yeah. I look like JLo when I'm, you know, 10 more years or whatever down the road. <laughs> like a woman? <laughs> it's like, no, don't do that. That's not what I meant. No. <laughs> Latin? No. I, Latin? You know, like, I. <laughs> No, Some things you can't change, Aaron. Some things I think you, can't you know change. where I was going with. That. Yes, I do. I do. <laughs> Did you find out if it was Hall or Ferguson? It was Ferguson. Woo! We go. We got it right. Bonus <laughs> points for guessing right. There you go. <laughs> I did want to mention the other really funny line that was right up there with the texting and the cell phone. I almost forgot to say this, but the moment with Owen Wilson that I loved. Another one was he's in the bathroom brushing his teeth. like eight o'clock p.m and she calls him and she's like what are you doing they go let's do let's go out or i don't remember what it was let's watch tv or something she's like what are you gonna do it's 8 p.m are you about to go to bed and he's like well i'm gonna read first he has (laughs) to justify it (laughs) that is such a but that is that is a dad thing like that is a thing you do when you're his age it made me think about my dad big time. I am getting more and more to this point. I even have friends of mine in their mid thirties and late thirties that are starting to get to this point where it's like, did you game tonight? And they're like, Oh yeah. By the time I, you know, wrapped up early and I'm, I'm going to bed to read. And like, it's just a thing that happens when you start to get older in a big way. And so I just loved that. And he sells it so naturally. It's just like, duh. <laughs> like don't you <laughs> do you read before you go to bed at eight o'clock and it just and you can just feel it like you know what she must be you can see it from the other side too and so you can be like how fuming you would be at like oh my gosh what is wrong with this person like i want to go to a club or something anyway i just yeah. thought that that was such a great exchange it's a it's a great little microcosm that reflects what i think we're, we really enjoy about this where you have these two opposing lifestyles that are surprising to the opposite person I don't think she was upset or like annoyed that he was going to bed early. It's like when you get married and you realize, you know, again, going to use my marriage as an example. It surprised me that my wife wanted to stay home and be a full-time mom. Why? Because I had two parents that both worked. And so when we started talking about that, 
we were going to have a baby and what was going to happen. I said, so when are you going to go back to work? And she goes, I don't know if I do want to go back to work. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so it, it creates these weird expectations where you just sort of assume that your life is a reflection of most other people's. And so for someone like Kat, hearing this guy go to bed at eight o'clock just seems weird where he's like looking at her going, yeah, I, you're going out. This is like when you start your night. And I looked at Krisha and I said, remember when that was what we were, when we would start our nights at like seven or eight. And now we're like, well, it's time for 90210 and then bed. That's that's pretty much what we're doing these days. But you learn to appreciate that. Why? Because as you get older, one, your energy level does go down, but you start to realize that going out, staying up till midnight really isn't as appealing as it once was. And so it's fun to watch that exchange. And then it sort of, in the middle or near the end of the conversation, it it drifts over to him saying goodnight, uh, you know, call me if you're lonely, and then she just calls him right back. I thought that was so sweet because even the nightlife doesn't keep you from experiencing that kind of loneliness. And it was just really, it was really a sweet moment. I liked it too. Yeah, definitely. Yep. Well, that is going to do it for us on this episode of Feelin' Film. Let me look at my notes. Looks like Aaron's put something in the outro that says, Uncharted with lots of Ds. Is this where you use the mute button? You were button? supposed no, to no, say no. Uncharted. Oh, I'm sorry. To... And then I hear, I see, please be good. Please be good. Please be good. Most this is before times. I saw it. <laughs> well, yeah. But we're not going to spoil your reaction at this point unless you've listened to FF+. I haven't. I'm seeing it here in the next day or two. This is what we're covering next week. So be sure to come back and enjoy that conversation, as I hope that both of us will. <laughs> so in the meantime, enjoy the rest of your week. And that's going to do it for us. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.